I love smoothies, but I don't love smoothie bar prices. With my Blendjet 2 Portable Blender, I can make smoothie bar quality beverages for a fraction of the price. Blendjet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. Blendjet, Blendjet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. And it lasts for 15 plus blends and recharges quickly via USB-C. Best of all, Blendjet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you are good to go. With over 30 plus colors and patterns to choose from, there's a Blendjet 2 to complement just about any style. Go to blendjet.com and grab yours today. And be sure to use the promo code AsianTan12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of Blendjet. They guarantee you love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with Blendjet 2 Portable Blender. Go to blendjet.com and use the code AdrianTan12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Adrian Tan Show, where I speak with guests who are at the forefront of all work matters. Whether it is on the next robotics that is taking over your job, hopefully not mine, the next work technology to make hybrid work more manageable or simply someone inspirational in the world of work, I aim to cover them all on the show. Today we'll be talking specifically about skills as I managed to get not one but two representatives from Skills Future Singapore, or SSG for short. SSG is one of the youngest statutory board in Singapore, and as the name implies, it has to do with all things skills-related. It started as a national movement to provide Singaporeans with the opportunities to develop their fullest potential throughout life, regardless of their starting points. Through this movement, the skills, the passion and contribution of every individual will drive Singapore's next phase of development towards an advanced economy and inclusive society. And on the show today to share more about what SSG is about will be Miss Peggy Lim and Mr. To Sui Chen. Peggy leads the Enterprise Engagement Office in SkillsFuture Singapore to promote and drive skills development in enterprises. Whereas Sui Chen leads the Public Engagement Division in SSG where he is responsible for the effort to guide individuals in their skills development and learning journey, as well as to make transactions with SSG as seamless as possible. Some of the programs he oversees include My Skills Future Portal, Skills Future Credit, and Skills and Training Advisory. Hi, Peggy and Sui Chen. Welcome to the show. Good morning, everybody. My name is Peggy. Hi. Yeah, very happy to be invited for this podcast. For our listeners, before we even start hitting the record button, we have done a lot of prep work to make sure that you really get the best understanding of what SSG is all about, minusing all the fluff that you usually get in mainstream media. So hopefully you get directly the source of the answers from our representatives here and also to get better queries on the kind of questions that you may have, which I've prepped quite a few so far. But for our younger listeners who may not have the understanding of skills future history, I've done some research and Peggy Suichen, correct me if I'm wrong on any aspect of this. So skills future essentially is a national movement to provide Singaporeans with the opportunities to develop their fullest potential throughout life. And it all started in 2015 led by then Deputy Prime Minister Taman Shabagaratnam to really coordinate and drive this national effort. And some of the things that you may have heard of very much in the press about what SkillsFuture does, of course, will be related to things like SkillsFuture Credit, SkillsFuture Earn and Learn, 
And of course, a lot of industry collaboration to ensure every different parties that has a stake in all this come together. Because ultimately, what's the use of skills, right? If employers don't recognize them. So employers also play a big part. Is my interpretation correct? And also, has anything changed? Your interpretation is correct. It's valid till today. I think we're still very much guided by the mission, which is, I think eventually the movement is about empowering individuals to stay relevant with skills. Of course, that happens through lifelong learning, skills upgrading. And increasingly, I think it's becoming more and more prevalent. And need for us to do this as a gumbong kind of concept, right? Everybody has to come together and support each other, one another. Which is why I think now you do hear a lot more about SkillsFuture partnering with the companies. So... Collectively, what really we want to do is to bring the, I just call it infrastructure, but this could be soft and hard things that we need to pull the resources together to help create the ecosystem that's conducive for people to learn. So for myself in the enterprise engagement office, it's it's really about working with the parties to enable the employers to make sense of what's necessary and important for them to equip their workers with the relevant skills. Of course, then translated to the individual, it means that you have the relevant and current skills importantly to keep your job right and also to, to upgrade and progress in your careers. Yeah, I think this journey itself is not new. Lah. Singapore has been uh, trying to improve it's a CET uh, infrastructure for the longest time. In our previous life, we were known as the Workforce Development Agency. That was formed back in 2003. Uh, but the focus back then was a bit different. I think back then, the, our CET infrastructure was it's not that developed. So we spent a lot of time back then trying to come out with the WSQ framework, trying to improve and beef up Singapore's CET infrastructure. And when the time is right, back in 2015, we decided that probably we should focus on other areas. I think the demographics have changed, the needs of the individuals have changed. The way Singapore's economy has developed also necessitates a change in approach, which is why SG was formed. So WDA was actually split into SSG, Sister Singapore, and our sister agencies, Workforce Singapore. They report to MOM, we report to MOE. So both agencies have now very strong focus. They are more uh, focused on employment-related issues, whereas on our end, we are focused a lot on rescaling, trying to become the skills authority of Singapore. For the uninitiated, what does CET and WSQ stands for? So CET stands for Continuing Education and Training. Basically, it means adult training. The opposite side is actually PET, Pre-Employment Training. This refers to your secondary school, your JC, your poly, so on and so forth. So adult training, we call it the CET training. WSQ refers to a Workforce Skills Qualification Framework. And back then, there was a DAF of industry-relevant frameworks, which is why WDA back then embarked on a major exercise to develop the WSQ framework from scratch. And it covers quite a lot of industries today. So it's a full-fledged curriculum, basically, to cater for working professionals in That's how right. they can gain more understanding or experience or skill sets in applying that into their workforce. To discuss next on this Queen Bee concept that SSG has. What exactly is Queen Bee and how does that actually help in the entire movement that you're trying to run here? As the name suggests, there is a Queen Bee. Theoretically, this Queen Bee will then attract the other bees. And then the concept is the other bees will work for the Queen Bee. But in, in our concept here, we partner the private sector industry. So for example, in the case of the retail sector, we've just appointed Capital Land. So they are one of the biggest retail mall owner, right? So they have a big base of retail tenants. 
many of whom are SMEs. In the case of the ICT sector, we've partnered Microsoft. This is like the second year into the partnership. Also working with them to see how we could help ecosystem partners. These are your ICT companies. Again, many of them are SMEs providing IT service. And then in the space of a supermarket, we partner Simsheng. The whole concept is that there's this sort of like big brother dichotomy, right? That it's a leader in its own, in the industry that they are in. And they also have a network of companies that they work with, whether these are their suppliers or these are their customers or these are their partners. And the Queen Bees do have some knowledge of the companies in the network. And what SSG does is then we partner with these companies, when we call them the Queen Bees, to reach out to the companies that are operating in their network. So I was just joking with my children that if I were to do this on our own, SG, to knock on every door, it probably take me like, I don't know how many lifetimes. There are 200,000 companies here, right? So it's going to take a long time. But through the Queen Bee, immediately we'll be able to access uh, their network. And often these are the companies that they don't step up to you and say, hey, I want to do skills training. Can you tell me what to do? Because they've been very busy in a day-to-day. So with the help of the Queen Bee, I think we improve the access. We are a lot faster in reaching out to them. And not only that, the Queen Bee, because they know who these companies are, they understand them, they're in the business together. And so it's easier for them to strike the connection and then to explain to them what this whole skills um, movement is about. So the Queen Bees actually help us to provide the skills advisory mm-hmm. to the SMEs. So this is the village concept that I've mentioned, working with key parties in the industry and then to further then cascade the benefits of skills training through them down to the SMEs and then from the SMEs to their employees. So they're somewhat like your influencer. La. But beyond just your Instagram influencer that can only look pretty and don't do anything else, your Queen Bee actually roll up their sleeves and actually transfuse or impart some of their best learning skills-wise through downwards throughout their ecosystem so that everyone can benefit. So that, that's really a quite an interesting um, proposition. And Chen, I also want to go back to a point that you mentioned earlier on because you talked about the history of SSG, it was formerly WD and all that. And importantly, that learning itself has probably evolved quite a fair bit, lah, given that yeah. SSG was started in 2015. I can't remember much about 2015, but I dare wish that 2015 is a very different landscape. The learning requirements will be very different and also your target audience will be very different. But how does it differ in your personal opinion? How has learning evolved since then? And how has the demographic responded differently since then? Over the past five or six years since SSG was formed, we have seen quite a tremendous increase in the number of individuals that has participated in training. As a reference, back in 2015, if I remember correctly, the the training participation rate was about 36-37% back then. Last year, it was 50%. So a 12% increase in training participation rate over five years. I thought it's quite good. And among this, one of the main reasons is that ever since SSG was formed, we tried very hard to drive drum into Singaporeans the concept of lifelong learning. In the past, even during WDA days, quite a lot of the CET training or adult training, which individuals go for, are actually training which the employers send them to. Right. So if the employers don't send them for training, typically they will not go for training. But we're seeing a reversal today. We're seeing a lot more individual-initiated training, which is encouraging for us because it means that individuals are taking charge of their own training needs. Even the way which SSG funds training has evolved over the years. 
back then we fund mainly a percentage of the cost fee, right? So it's, it's what we call the supply side chain. You go for a thousand dollar cost, SS you can fund up to nine hundred dollars, and you yourself only required it's only required to pay a hundred dollars out of pocket. But with the formation of SSG and with the introduction of SkillsFuture credits, it is the first time that we actually introduce what we call demand side funding. Basically, we give you the five hundred dollars; it is yours. You decide what, how you want to use it, when you want to use it, what kind of training you want to use it for, and that has been a key change in the way we do things. And it is also one of the key factors which has contributed to the increase in the individual initiated training. As of today, about 30% of Singaporeans have used their SkillsFuture credit. And from the government, will continue to top up the SkillsFuture credit at appropriate times, depending on various factors. So far, there has been one other top up back in 2020. Everyone got an additional $500. And if you were between 40 and 60, as of December 2020, you get an additional $500, which you can use for a smaller subset of causes. These causes are typically what we call causes with very strong employment-related outcomes. So it's ring fenced for a smaller subset of causes. Um, so that's how SSG has changed over the past few years. And of course, COVID has also changed the way individuals approach training. When COVID hit, all of us, our training providers had to pivot very quickly into online training. Before that, many individuals are very resistant to online training. They do not think that online training can be effective. They do not think that they can learn as much online compared to, say, classroom training. It's a bit similar to how all of us were suddenly forced to work from home, right? Before COVID, everybody's back in office. But during COVID, we realized that actually working from home, you can be equally productive or even more productive as compared to working in office. Huh? We have seen this change over the course of COVID. More individuals accepting of online learning. And we see quite a big increase in the number of individuals that has undergone online training over the past two years. As COVID gradually dies down, we see that more classroom training has returned. And I think it's the same with what we are experiencing at the workplace as well, right? More people are returning to the workplace. So similarly for training as well, more individuals are going back for classroom training. But I do think that online training is here to stay. And SSG will continue to support online training, even though it is something which is pretty new to us as well. I hate to admit it, but I'm one of those that gotten the $1,000 top up, which means I'm more than 40 years old, unfortunately. But one of the things that I do experience and I've checked with a few of my friends and they're also experiencing the same thing is they don't really know where to start. Are there any tips and advice you would have for people who are keen to take that first step and to utilize their skills future credit on something that will be useful for them, but not really sure where to begin? And perhaps you can draw some parallels in your personal journey. I would believe you might have already exhausted your skills future credits. How do you go about planning in using yours? To be quite honest, I have not used my SkillsFuture credit. And I think that's partly because I work in SkillsFuture Singapore and I think the government itself is very supportive of workforce training. So I do not have to pay for my own professional development, fortunately. Everything is already paid for by, by the organization. I've gone for several causes over the past few years. Leadership development causes, management causes, milestone causes. I myself have signed up for data-related causes because I think that it is something which is quickly emerging today. It is something which SSG is focusing quite big on over the next few years. We want to be more data-driven in the way we do things, in the way we design our policies, or even in the way we guide individuals on which industries they might want to consider if they don't have a long, a good career. So I think in terms of what you had said earlier, it is true. There are over 20,000 causes today in my portal. And it can be quite daunting to many people, even myself, when I was uh, trying to look for causes to attend. I, I thought that the first step is really know yourself, right? You need to have a good sense of what your inclinations are, what you want to do, 
in your career? Are you looking out for a career switch? Are you looking to upscale yourself so that you can continue to progress in your current career? Once you know that, then you make things a bit simpler. You can go to our MySkillSheet portal, you can do a cost search. The cost search today, I must say, is not ideal and we are making changes to it. You can do a cost search for data analytics today, it's 2,000 returns, right? And which is not very helpful to, to many people. And I think we acknowledge that. And we are making changes to the cost search parameters, changing the way causes are reflected in the cost search results, changing the way we allow individuals to put in certain filters. For example, you might only be looking for a beginner level course, or you might only be looking for a course that runs for about a week at most. Right? So you allow you to enter all these parameters, and hopefully we will be able to produce cost search results that makes more sense and which is more helpful. The other thing which we are working quite hard on this year and the course of next year is to improve the level of personalization which an individual can get through his or her MySkillsFuture portal account. And we do this through several ways. We want to have a 360 degree view of your training records, right? What are the sorts of training which you have gone for? What industries are you currently employed in? And if you are willing to fill up a very quick questionnaire, then you will be able to know what your career aspirations are. And with all this information, we will then be able to push out content, EDMs, more relevant information, which can help you in your learning and your career development moving ahead. So these are some of the things which we are doing on the digital front. We know that there is also a segment of individuals who might prefer to have face-to-face -face, uh, interactions with SSG officers. And which is why during a COVID actually two years ago, we launched the Skills and Training Advisory, where individuals can just sign up for 45 minutes to an hour session with our Skills Ambassadors. They will be able to guide you through the course search. They will be able to guide you to navigate the portal. They will be able to guide you to hopefully identify causes which you can or should attend depending on your needs. So you can just sign up for this on the MySkillsFuture portal and then you will be able to get the skills future skills ambassador talk to you for about 40 to 60 days. It's completely free, of course. We have also partnered the People's Association and the Community Development Council to launch what we call the Skills Future Advice Workshops. These are workshops which are a bit more broad-based. They will tell you what are some of the Skills Future programs which you can sign up for. More recently, we are moving into conducting workshops which are more industry or sector focused. So you can have workshops that are focused on, say, the ICT sector or workshops that are focused on, I don't know, maybe manufacturing. And these are more targeted workshops. Individuals who are keen to find out more about these sectors can sign up for these workshops where they will then be given a one-hour, one-half-hour talk by various individuals, including training providers on the career opportunities, the type of job roles which are available in these sectors, and what are some of the causes which you might want to consider attending in order to be able to take advantage of some of the employment opportunities in these sectors. Yeah, those are really new to me. I'll definitely add them into the show notes. You basically have advisory at the individual level, somewhat like the Apple genius at your Apple store, like, which iPhone like to buy. Uh, and then they'll tell me, oh, I'm going to buy this iPhone. And also at the sectorial level, which I think is very interesting. I, I believe especially for SME bosses that also might be equally, in a way, clueless on what they should send their people for such training. Looking at it at the industry level might really be useful. But Peggy, over to you. What is your personal learning Edge, uh, how do you actually look into what kind of training do you have to apply? I'm a kinesthetic learner, la, so I learn hands-on. I don't really like reading. So anything that can get my hands dirty, I, I thoroughly enjoy. So that's how I learn. But to answer to your question, I think more importantly is as an individual, you must have some sense of where your interests are. If 
there's really nothing. Just go on to our MySkills Future portal and just browse. You do that on your online marketplaces, right? You can do it similar on our portal. And you may find something quite interesting. For employers, I thought we recently launched the Skills Demand for Future Economy report. I don't know whether you are aware, Adrian, but that was launched a couple of weeks ago. So it's our second edition and our colleagues at the Skills Development Group, they have really put in a lot of effort using big data, using ground sensing, and put up a wonderful report spotlighting the emerging skills that are in demand and transferable in the care economy, in the green economy, in the digital economy. So if you don't know where to start, that's the report that I thought anybody should take a look at because it gives you a quick sense of what the emerging skills are. And you may want to learn about the emerging area. Some of you may really be in holding occupations or professions in those area. And to you, it could be a skills top up. Or to you, it could be a skills that you already have and you just want to validate whether indeed they are emerging and in demand or how much in demand they are. So if you're a curious learner and if you're able to put in that little bit of enthusiasm to, to search around, I'm sure you'll be able to get quite a lot of information and Suchin has already shared the resources that are available. I think in, for SSG as a whole, I know some perception out there is we're not moving fast enough, our funding is not responsive enough, but believe you me, we're trying very hard every day to try and improve the way we deliver our service, whether this is to the individuals or to the enterprises. And where we can innovate, we definitely want to. Like for example, the Queen Bee scheme, right? It's one way of us creating new channels to outreach to companies. And the Skills Development Report is a report that is substantiated by a lot of advanced work that, that went on at the back. And so you can talk about how we're trying to improve our search engine right now. Not there, but we are working very hard every other day. I just want to share, uh, there's also this myth that is still, still lingers today, uh, which is very hard to get your funding, no SSG. The reality is that as an individual, uh, whether you are sponsored by an employer or whether you're an individual, you sign up for any course, you don't have to apply for anything now, particularly for, in the, for employers. In the past, you might still need to do some application, right? But with actually done away with that. So you don't have to worry about having to go through extensive paperwork just to send yourself for training. That's not necessary anymore. So where we can, I think at the policy level, we also want to make our service as accessible as possible. Yeah. So that's a very long answer to your question. So learning, I think at the end of it, fundamentally um, to the individual, you must be curious, you must be wanting to learn. And then once you have an inkling of where your preference lies, it'll be quite easy. Like the journey isn't really that difficult because information is everywhere. It's just sometimes you also having to take the first step like, to go and find out what's available out there. Yeah, that's completely true. There's so much learning that we can even easily do on not just Udemy, Coursera, but simply YouTube. There's just so yeah. much content out there. But ultimately, it has to fit into the curiosity in us, like, which of course I can observe a lot more in our kids. But somehow when you reach the adult stage, uh, all you think about the bills that you have to pay, the food you have to put on the table, <laughs> and curiosity seems to be the last thing you want to consider. But having said mm -hmm. that, I think the other thing you mentioned which really got me thinking is the keyword emerging. So at the very least, if we can just 
have our spotlight at the emerging industry, emerging technology, emerging roads, that definitely will put you in a good light because you will know for sure moving forward, that is where the demand is. For instance, last time there's no such job as drone operator. There's no, of course, if you go a few years back, there's no such role as cybersecurity. And right now you have so many different interesting jobs which did not exist before. But I believe as it starts to grow, there will always be some signs that are being left behind. Success leaves clues, basically. And if we can spot those signs, we will know, oh, okay, the next wave in tech may be Web3. Perhaps I should take a course on Web3 to figure out what that is all about. On the other aspect, I also want to take your thoughts on something about learning specifically, because I do understand when it comes to the programs that is funded by Tertiary Credit, of course, there's 20 over 1,000 of them, but if I'm not wrong, most of them either come in a couple of permutations, either classroom learning or, of course, asynchronous learning. But I also feel that a lot of learning could be done in many different other spectrum as well. For instance, I do my learning through reading sometimes, but sometimes I also don't want to read. Like Peggy, just like you, sometimes too many words really turn me off. But I listen to a lot of podcasts and also I may go down for events. Recently, I have a coach that I've been speaking with. So all this could be ways for one person to learn. What's the perspective from SSG in considering all these other ways of learning? So you're right, 20 over 1,000 courses which are eligible for SkillsFuture credit use. 90 plus percent of them are what we call industry-relevant courses and another 7 to 8 percent are what we call the community-based courses. These are courses mainly targeted at seniors. These are courses which are, which are conducted by your community centres, right? So about 6, 7 percent. The vast majority are industry-specific courses. Today, coaching, podcasts, attending events are currently not supported by SkillsFuture Credit Line. And the reason why is because we find it difficult to measure the outcomes of some of these events. I completely agree with you. I listen to podcasts as well. I know that there are certain events, conferences, which can be very useful and way more useful than some of the classroom settings, some of the classroom learning or some of the classroom training which we attend. But I think from SSG's and the difficulty is really about measuring the outcomes of some of these things. While there are industry-relevant ones, I'm sure you agree with me that there are also other more frivolous podcasts, more frivolous kind of conferences, and it's going to be quite difficult for SSG to support all of these, mainly because we are, we are the custodian of this amount of money that has been passed over to us and we need to ensure that it is well utilised. That's it. I think we have evolved quite a bit. Uh, when SkillsFuture Credit was, was first formed, all of the uh, training which is eligible are classroom training. Today, we already allow asynchronous learning, MOOCs. More recently, we have allowed the use of SkillsFuture Credit. We have allowed the use of SkillsFuture credits for learning subscription, right? So you have a subscription-based platform that's operated by Adobe, Zillion, and Learning Hub. So you pay an amount of money, you can access all the courses they have on their platform. So I think on SSG's end, we are constantly evolving. We'll continue to change the way we fund, to change the way we allow certain courses to be eligible for sales credit based on ever-evolving situation in Singapore. In the academic world, there's the concept of formal learning, which is your classroom structure leading to some form of certification. There's this famous learning model, 70 is formal, 20 is non-formal, 10% is informal, when you learn from peers, 20% is the one that you go and attend master classes or anything that's structured, but not classroom-based. We are cognizant, we know that there's that 70, 20, 10 that happens in learning. And increasingly, we are also trying to see how we can recognize that 20%. That 10% 
it's like what Sui Chen has been trying to say, the learning outcome is very hard to ascertain. Uh. You read newspaper and then suddenly there's an article that might be relevant to your work and hence there's a little bit of knowledge gain. But how do you quantify that? It's very hard to do that. Uh. And especially if you are now talking about whether to fund or not to fund, it's going to be quite messy and this is taxpayers money right for us to say oh yeah this article really has helped you therefore we fund you don't have to think about whether there is money given to you or incentives before you decide whether you want to learn or not for some people you are like very visual you go to youtube and you learn how to cook and that works best for you for some other people you have to read the recipe and for others you actually have to attend a cooking class because you need to be handhold and someone to guide you along so you know different people have different styles but as far as ssg is concerned if we are going to give a grant and we want to support then the question of whether the program has rigor, got quality, learning outcomes, or they have to come into play. That's something that is quite inevitable because we also want to make sure that if the government wants to support, there must be something that's a lot more tangible uh, that will be imparted to the individual. What I want to say is that for employers, we are now taking a very hard look at how do we ascertain learning that is acquired at the workplace. The concept is not new, it's called recognition of prior learning. So how do we still accord that individual worker that due recognition, whether the person has to go out, attend a classroom or online, or just to sit through that seven, eight hours and then have an assessment in order to get the certification. In RPL, I think the concept is that we don't have to go through all that. If you think you have the skills, let us come and then assess you based on some agreed assessment matrix. And of course, the assessment must be competent enough to be able to do the assessment as well. And once you meet all the conditions, then Therefore, you have exhibited the skill and you're still given the due cert as well. The certification is important for the individual because it then enhances the career mobility, right? So that you can prove not just to your current employer, but in the event, if you have to move, then you can tell the employer B or C or D that you actually have the skills and it was attained at the workplace. So learning, yes, that's that 70, 20, 10, and a lot of the 70%, the, the formal learning, the space is very mature now. SSG has been supporting it since WDA days, but we're not stopping there. We know the world is moving and we're trying to see also how we could pivot ourselves and then be fast enough and responsive enough to help this and as well as individuals to acquire the relevant skills get so that they can move up. Obviously, you want it to be tied into something tangible some outcome, no matter what, all these are taxpayer money after all. It is really more learning for the sake of self lah, rather than learning for the sake of maximizing my skills future credit, which That's really right. doesn't make sense. And but one thing that I also do take into consideration is the approach to learning might differ between different demographics. A person in my 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, so on and so forth may look at learning very differently. I like to use the example of if I can turn back time, I will probably do LASIK when I'm 20 years old lah, because my ROI would really max out compared to during doing it now I'm like uh, would it last I'm gonna die soon and all so for different demographics do you have any advice or on what they should look at because we talk about emerging technology of course we also have all the skill sets that we can look at but would that be something that applies across to all different age group if I'm already in my 60s would it make sense for me to take a program in crypto because I may not even be able to apply it 
I would say that it's quite difficult for us to generalize. You recognize that what people want, what individual want is very different. You just say yourself that you wouldn't have gone for LASIK, right? Today, because you think that our eyes not there. I just went for LASIK about three months ago. It's my second LASIK. I did mine when I was 30 and I'm 44 this year. All right, so I still went for my second one. So, so what I'm trying to say is that every different people have different needs, different people have different aspirations. So we can't really pigeonhole them. Oh, you're in your 20s, you need to go for all these types of jobs. Because let's face it, right? Not everybody is suited to be a data analyst, right? If I want to be a piano teacher or a ballet dancer, why should I pigeonhole you and insist that you go into data analytics? Different people have different aspirations, different needs, and we need to recognize that. Actually, which is why it is challenging for us to come up with something that's able to fit the needs of everyone when it comes to signposting. Signposting is a language you use in SSG, which really means that you want to be able to tell you where you go for your next job, what kind of training you need to go for, where are the different training providers, what are the training, what are the types of training that's available today. So this is what we call signposting. It's very difficult, right? Just because you're admitting, I cannot assume that you are looking for you know, a career that gives you lots of money, for example. Likewise, I cannot assume that just because you're in your 60, you think you cannot do anything in crystal because you can, right? There's nothing stopping you. You might have the attitude, you might still have the drive, you might still have the energy. Everybody knows yourself best. On SSG's end, we can do our part. We can give you information on what are some of the emerging industries, what are some of the emerging skills. And if you think that these are what you want, this is in line with your career aspirations, we will tell you, oh, we can consider taking a course at, say, Trimastic Poly or Singapore Poly. And then you're on your way. And of course, we will support you by providing you with quite substantial funding throughout the course of your learning. It makes most sense for SSG to reduce the information symmetry that's out there today. I think people are confused. We mentioned this earlier that because there are so many, they are spoiled for choices. They do not really know what kind of training they should go for, what are the opportunities out there. And I think it's SSG's job to, to try and demystify some of these things for the individual so that they are able to make the best decision for themselves. More importantly is I'm seeing increasingly the digital divide now because a lot of things right now is very related to technology, to digital. That's probably one question that as an individual, you might just want to ask yourself is, are digitally you're using your confidence enough? If not, then maybe there's really one immediate gap that you want to pluck. Because that one is a show, no matter what you do, you're going to touch digital. So I don't think age is so much of a problem, but really what is most needed right now in terms of the skill sets. And if you don't even have the fundamentals, that's going to be quite challenging for you. It's really more about the motivation of the individual. And moving across to perhaps what are some of the future plans. And I do understand most recently there had been an event which the Global Lifelong Learning Summit, which she, of course, was heavily involved with. Are there any upcoming plans, upcoming initiative that perhaps the audience might be keen to learn about? The key message there is that bring the classroom out, right? And learning into, what do you call that? Work experiences, real learning into the classroom, right? So it's not just about upgrading our workforce, but importantly, is also our adult educators because they are the teachers, right? Teachers, theoretically, they should know more, right? So it's actually very important for them to be knowledgeable about the working world, real world, future of work, future of many things out there so that they can bring the real life teachings back 
whether as a teacher in a university, teacher in a JC, or as adult educator. That's something that we've been trying to we are trying to champion. And the Institute for Adult Learning, we will be looking at how we can support them to become the national center. Of excellence in that area. Individuals can look forward to perhaps more personalized signposting from SSG. We will reduce the information symmetry that's out there. They'll be able to look forward to more industry relevant training because we are closing the links between ourselves and employers. SSG will always be one or two steps behind. But we want to work closer with employers so that we will be able to work with our CET partners and training providers to deliver training that's relevant in the future. We wanted to work with the Institute of Adult Learning to improve the quality of our adult educators so that individuals, when they go for training, they will be able to benefit a more professional adult educator which is able to impart the training lessons and knowledge to adults more effectively. This is something which individuals can look forward to over the next few years. It's really a continuation of what we have done since WDA days. Right. Things are evolving. At the start, we built the base, built the foundation. Now we built upon the very strong foundation which we have built up over the past 15, 19 years to try and deliver, deliver higher quality training for individuals. At the end of the day, without sounding a bit too cliche, we have always said, even when I was young in school, they say that the only natural resource Singapore has is human capital and it's indeed true. Which is why the government is putting in so much resources into developing our adult workforce. And it's particularly important because of the way things are changing, the level of disruptions, which we have seen over the past years is unprecedented, right? Companies come and go, jobs come and go. So it's important for our adult workforce to continue to be nimble, to continue to be equipped with skills that allows them to be employable in the years ahead. During my parents' time, it's always about lifelong employment, right? Many of them they start work after school with a company, they stay there until they retire. Today, yeah. it's nearly impossible. Most people would switch jobs. Many would switch careers at some point of time in their lives. It is something that is here to stay. And us as Singaporeans, we need to take it upon ourselves. We need to continue to stay hungry, continue to have the keenness to learn, the drive to continuously upgrade ourselves so that we can continue to remain employable. I think as jobs, disappear, new jobs are created, right? These new jobs are jobs which can be of higher value at, higher paying, but are we able to then take advantage of these opportunities and say that without the right skills, it'll be very difficult. So what the government can do, of course, is to bring in these jobs to Singapore. SSG can then work with the various government agencies to put in place all these training interventions so that Singaporeans can then take advantage of them and equip themselves with the best skills to take advantage of these jobs. But I would say it's an ongoing process and there are still many things which you can do. A lot of things that are already being done are above and beyond what I believe many other countries are currently doing or pursuing. And I think in spite of what SSG are offering for Singaporeans, it's really up to the individual to take charge of their own life, their own livelihood as well as where they stand in society. So as long as you are really cognizant of what is coming, you want to survive well, or you even want to thrive in society, you just have to keep leveling up. And leveling up can come in many different forms. It can be through the programs that you are funding, it can be through a YouTube videos, whatever. As long as you put that into practice, I'm sure it all will work out well for everyone. It's also important to note that digital fundamental as World Economic Forum has also mentioned technology use is one of the must-have skills for people that they foresee moving forward. It reminded me of a situation recently I was in a discussion with a group with this person and I was telling him hey maybe we can create a WhatsApp group and then he's like can we do telegram or not? 
That's when I realized, wow, I think I'm a bit old already and I need to explore that. I mean, I could easily say, Telegram, no lah, you follow me lah, WhatsApp lah, I only know WhatsApp lah. But I think we have to evolve with technology as well as a trend in technology to move into what is coming, what is trending. We may or may not appreciate it, but I think at the back of our head, we must know that it exists and at least be slightly familiar lah with what it is all about. And before we end this podcast, any parting thoughts you would have for the listeners who may be employers or enterprises? Today, you just cannot ignore skills training. Yes, I do understand you have to make sure there's cash flow, you're able to pay people on time, inflation costs and all that. It's huge pressure out there running a business and I don't disagree. But if you feel that you have the bandwidth to bring your business up to the next level, I would strongly urge you to think about skills training. How do you invest in your people? Because it not only helps you in your employer branding, tangibly, it's going to give you returns. It's not going to happen overnight. But if you don't start today, it will never happen. And as Suichen mentioned, today we are seeing a lot more individuals wanting to upgrade themselves and we do see reports saying people want to work for employers who take a keen interest in their learning and they feel valued and they feel invested so if you feel that you know you are quite okay got a bit of bandwidth think about what you have done for your people number one number two is look at what's happening out there the trends that are going on the disruptions what are you doing to keep yourself prepared or rather to cope with what's happening? Do you even know what's happening? If you don't be afraid, we do have so many causes, right? That talk about emerging trends, emerging technology. Go sign up for them. There's the SkillsFuture Enterprise Credit, uh, which can further help to offset the cost, right? So training is not expensive. That's not the case anymore. So cost shouldn't be a barrier. And the resources are all there. And today, if you don't start to make use of it, your peers are already consuming and benefiting from it. You may just risk not taking advantage like, and right on the way to move with times. The government has put in place quite a lot in terms of CD training. But at the end of the day, it still depends on the individual to want to train. They need to take the initiative to sign up for training. Uh, and the government, no matter what we do, we can't force you to do that if you don't want. So I would strongly advise everyone to continue to remain hungry, to continue to want to learn. It may or may not be employment-related kind of training, as long as it might be some YouTube video, some TikTok video. As long as you continue to learn something new every day, I think it's useful. Of course, there's an old saying, right? You're never done learning. But the people of a few hundred years ago might have the luxury of time. Today, things mm. are moving so fast. We do not have a hundred years. And it's important to continue to train, to be up to speed, even before things go down south. Because by the time there's a recession or by the time the job is lost, and then you start to look for training, then perhaps it might, it might be a bit too late for some of you. So we are a bit like the, the health promotion board, right? So we all need to mm. exercise, stay healthy, eat healthy. We all need to train, continue to remain relevant, continue to upskill. And when things go too badly, perhaps you will be able to find a job easier as compared to someone who has not done so Right. Just keep learning. Learn for the sake of learning. In fact, if that's necessary, just to build that learning muscle. Yeah. And anything at all, even if you want to learn how to dance like Uncle Raymond, go for it. It is still learning after all. And that would slowly infuse in your brain that it is actually quite easy to learn and to create that learning habit for everyone. 
With that, thank you so much for coming on to this podcast. Thank you so much for your time. And all that you have mentioned will be added into the show notes for our listeners to find out more about SG. Thank you so much. Thanks, Adrian. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. You can refer to the show notes for links to more information about our guests and their businesses. If you enjoyed this podcast, it would be helpful to give a review on iTunes or follow me on Spotify. If you're using Overcast, please hit the star button under the episode. That will help get this episode and podcast out to more people who may find it useful. I'll see you in the next episode of The Agent Han Show.